3: Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: Welcome to the Tudor Dixon Podcast. I am super excited about today because I have a guest with me who I met just a few months ago, but she is actually on the Clay & Buck Network with me. And the way I met her was... You've probably heard me talk about Rad Diversified before, and there was a conference, and we were both there. It's one of those things where you're going there, and you're like, I'm not going to know anybody here, and what's it going to be like, and is it going to be one of those like just awkward two days? And I walked in and met Lisa Booth, and I was like, oh, I I obviously know she's on the network, see her on Fox all the time because she's a Fox News contributor. She's the host of The Truth with Lisa Booth podcast, and I'm like, "What what is this going to be like? I've never met... This woman is amazing. I love her. We had so much fun. It was such a great time. And just every time I see you, it's a great connection. So Lisa, thank you for joining me on the podcast.
5: Tudor Dixon. Yeah. And you know what? So John, our mutual producer. Hi, John. He had told me, he was like, you're going to love Tudor Dixon. You need to have her on the show. And I was like, I believed him. But it's like, you know, you've got a thousand different things going on. And then when we met, it was like that scene from the Step Brothers. When they're like, did we just become best friends? (laughs) Totally. Yes. (laughs) And I texted John immediately after afterwards and I was like, okay, Tudor is awesome. Love her. We have to have her on. I think she's my new best friend. So you are so awesome. Your audience obviously knows that, but uh, you're just so cool and so much fun to be around. Well, it
4: is. It's, I mean, it is funny because there is kind of that feeling we saw each other. We were like ships passing in the night on Saturday after the primary at Fox. And it was like that moment of, ah, there she is. Okay, this is a nice it's a nice moment that I get to see my friend. So, yeah,
5: I gave you a hug and then I had ordered a Celsius because I had been traveling all day and so I was like I have to get this Celsius. And I before... get that. Like that was yeah. totally a, I was like yes,
4: I'm on board with that. So, it was that was good. Um yes. and then we went and talked about the news which we're going to talk about right now because we have big news that Mitch McConnell is stepping down from leadership in the Senate and everybody is like, oh, my gosh, what does this mean? And I kind of feel like it's not the same as like a McCarthy because the Senate is just different than the House. But I wanted to get your opinion on what you think about this.
5: Yeah, I mean, the Senate's definitely different. I mean, I think there's been, you know, changes to the Senate and the way that, you um You know, uh, in the way that judges are, you know, there's been some sort of like chipping away at uh, sort of like the Senate norms and the Senate kind of being the adult body. But the way I look at it is, you know, Mitch McConnell has been there since 1985, I was born in 1985 i'm still extremely young but that's a long time to be in the senate you know that's just a long time and and think about how much the republican party has changed not just since 1985 but really just since donald trump came on the scene in 2015. so I I just think that it's a different party now. Uh, You know, he's getting older. He's clearly had some health issues as well that we've seen, which have been front and center. And then I also, you know, he really lost the trust of his fellow Republicans in the Senate on the border bill. And, you know, i had interviewed Senator Ron Johnson for my show. And, you know, he felt that, you know, McConnell set them up right, that he set them up, he put them in a position where Joe Biden could go out there and say, you know what, I tried, it's them, even though the bill was BS. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and so he shouldn't have, Mitch McConnell shouldn't have engaged in it, on it in the beginning. And I I just think a lot of Republicans felt like he sold them out. And so I think that was kind of the the final nail uh, in the coffin, so to speak.
4: So what do you think when you see this and you see all the chatter on and I think a lot of us who are in the political world see more chatter than the average person. And maybe they're not as interested in who's going to be the leader. But who do you think will I mean, we know some people have announced who do you think that the kind of newer Trump Republicans are looking for leading the Senate?
5: I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think anyone I'd want to to be, you know, the minority leader is going to be the minority leader or or maybe the majority leader, uh, you know, after November, the Senate map is favorable for Republicans. So hopefully, uh, it'd be the Senate majority leader. I mean, I'd love to see someone like Rand Paul or uh, even someone like Josh Hawley, just someone that's going to stick it to Democrats a a little bit more. Um, But, you know, it'll probably be someone a little bit more moderate, I would assume.
4: Right. Yeah. I mean, I we know John Cornyn is out there talking about it, and I've seen some back and forth. I know Rick Scott had at one point wanted to be, and I don't know if he's still at that
5: point or. Actually, Rick Rick Scott might end up because he was, uh, you know, he he's been the uh, NRSC. Uh, chairman in the past. So, you know, I, he actually might be sort of a good conservative, but maybe not as hardcore, you know, where he's, he's able to get the numbers to, to, to be it. So yeah, he might actually be, and he ran against Mitch McConnell. Uh, remember in 2022, he had 10 defections against uh, McConnell then. So yeah, that would make sense. I, I'm not a Cornyn fan. I just feel like, uh, He's too squishy, kind of, you know, sell the party out, just not strong enough for me. Uh, But yeah, I think Rick Scott could be someone uh, who might have a chance.
4: I think people are really at this point. I mean, and I'm a Floridian now, so I, you know. A fellow Floridian, right? Exactly. Yes, exactly. I think people are looking for someone who is going to be vocal about things like you talked about the border bill. We are currently in this border crisis. We've just saw, we've just seen this young woman who was murdered by an illegal immigrant, Lake and Riley, and Joe Biden is out there saying crime is down. And I think that Republicans, especially, are going. Can we have someone who's going to speak? reality to this situation and how someone who's going to stand up and be able to put bills through the Senate that are going to have an impact on what's happening with our national security. And so when I look at his speech, Joe Biden's speech, where he's saying, oh, crime is down. How do you how do you interpret that? Because I think What's going to happen? And I'm serious for all of you out there who are like, oh, that's ridiculous. And I'm with you. I'm with you on the whole. I'm going to to Walgreens and I have to get toothpaste unlocked for me. You know, how can crime be down when I can't buy toothpaste? But technically, I mean, there may be some statistics where it's down. Do you think Americans are buying what Joe Biden is selling?
5: No, I, I don't think they're, they're buying it at all. You know, like you said, when people have to go into the, the grocery store or CVS and everything's locked up, but they're not locking up the people committing the crimes. And then also, I, I think the crime statistics are are sort of garbage these days, particularly when you're in a lot of these cities and they're not even arresting people uh, to begin with. So, I, you know, I, I don't know that's, how much that's a good I, point. So yeah, so like I measure. Yeah. That. yeah I, don't, I don't really know how much I, I believe that. And I I, I think, you know, the sad thing, but maybe politically, one of the positive things about where we are today is look, the media is going to try to gaslight us on everything. Joe Biden's gonna to try to gaslight us on everything, but people feel what they feel, you know, and a lot of people don't feel safe right now in Joe Biden's America. And I, I think they look at what's happening on the southern border and they're like, look, we don't want our own people, you know, committing crimes, but we sure as hell don't want people who shouldn't be here to begin with. And I, I've heard folks on the left try to make the argument that Illegal immigrants don't disproportionately you know, uh, commit crimes at a higher rate than native-born Americans, yada, yada, yada. Well, one, they already broke the law by illegally crossing right. the southern border. And then a lot of them try to seek asylum under false pretenses and are taking advantage of that system, which needs to be changed. But we're increasing the probability when you have 7.2 million, which is probably not even the right number, of illegal immigrants who have crossed the southern border under Joe Biden's watch, you know, greater than the population of 36 states. So when you're having that many people cross the southern border, of course, you're increasing the probability. And we've seen a record number of people on the terror watch list uh, caught at the southern border. We've seen Chinese nationals. You know Russians, uh, you know Iranians, Syrians. Uh, you know we've got Christopher Wray, the FBI director, warning about increased threats of terrorism, concerns that he has. So we are sure as heck increasing the probability of something bad happening. And uh, so you know, yeah, I, I think this is going to be a big issue for for so many different reasons. Uh, but one, you know, safety, security, crime. Uh, all those issues. Definitely.
4: Well, and i have kind of long suspected that people on the left don't necessarily know what they're voting for. They hear just a portion of it and they're like, oh my gosh, that sounds so loving and wonderful. And so sanctuary cities is one of those things that I feel like this week, or maybe it was end of last week was kind of exposed when Eric Adams was like, you know what? as a sanctuary city, we are no longer going to say, if you've committed a crime, you are safe from ice. And people are like, that's amazing, and clapping. And I think this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard, because I don't think people really ever realize that. We We had a few years back in our small town, we had this group come in. There's this group called Welcoming America. And they came into Muskegon, Michigan, and They came in and they wanted to make us a welcoming community. And I knew exactly what a welcoming community was. It was the new term for a sanctuary city. And so we were speaking out about it. And I said, look, you're talking about creating a space that is safe for criminals to come in. And oh, my gosh, how could you call illegal immigrants criminals? I'm like, no, no, no. You have to understand this. The idea of being a sanctuary city is you're protecting people no matter what crime they've committed from being arrested. so this is it goes beyond just have protecting people because they're illegal. They're actually not able to arrest them because you have a sanctuary for people to do whatever they want. Just certain people who are not citizens and taking taxpayer dollars. Now, suddenly, all these people are cheering this on like, yeah, we shouldn't allow them to commit crimes and not be arrested. Like, why did you think for te- the last ten years,
5: that was okay? So, I think what happened was that people liked the idea of sanctuary cities or or even maybe they weren't against the idea of illegal immigration or you know immigration, whatever when it was in the abstract when it was just sort of an idea, it was like a thought bubble, you know like oh yeah, we're Americans, we have empathy for for others, you know, but now, when they're having to really deal with the consequences of it and they're saying they're being displaced. By you know these illegal immigrants, and you know they're they're having to their taxpayer money is going to house these people who shouldn't be in the country to begin with that the city resources are being used up, that they're probably going to be taxed more as a result of this that they're seeing crime being taken place by people who shouldn't be here in the beginning or murders. You know, I, I think that they're realizing, OK, this actually isn't the best idea. And and that's why we're also seeing a shift with people like, you know, New York City Mayor Adams. And I, and I think that as the smartest thing that Republicans have done is when, you know, you've got these governors uh, like Greg Abbott or uh, Ron DeSantis shipping illegal immigrants to these sanctuary cities because, you know, they, they've had to put their money where their mouth is. And there's been this awakening and this realization that, okay, these policies aren't great. They're going to bankrupt us and they're not making they're making our cities more dangerous.
4: Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast.
0: The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe.
3: Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: Yeah, it's been fascinating to watch how people who, even in in the communities that are getting these immigrants coming and busing in, those folks that are using the most resources from the city are the ones that are suddenly going, well, wait a minute we don't want these people to come in and take our community center to take over our schools to take over our our you know funding for what we do with our kids and food and all of these types of things and they're suddenly realizing that being welcoming to these folks welcoming i say in quotes is actually taking away from americans which it seemed like that was so obvious but i think until you're right it, until you live it You don't actually see it. So I just want for full transparency, we are recording this on Thursday. You guys are listening to it on Friday. So after at this point, Biden and Trump have already been to the border. But we just I wanted to say we haven't seen that yet. So I wanted to get into that a little bit, though, because Biden is going down to the border. Trump, they obviously just went yesterday. Um, Biden down there, Trump down there, same day. Biden's administration comes out and they're like, oh, we had no idea Trump would be down there. To me, there's a few things here that bug me about this because, A, they're obviously lying, but B, if they're not lying or or just coming out and saying that they didn't know this, how irresponsible to to do that in general. I, mean, I Overall, I think that looks idiotic, but why go now? I mean, Trump is going down there. This young woman was just murdered. What is he going to try to pull before this election?
5: I think just, you know, a rabbit out of the hat, if he can. I mean, there's this polling from Bloomberg recently looking at seven swing states, and it found that 62% of voters say Biden is very responsible or somewhat responsible for the increase of, you know, illegal immigration. Uh across the southern border. So, you know, I, I think Joe Biden's realizing that, OK, this is actually a really big problem for me politically, that Americans don't feel safe as a result, hence him talking about crime. They don't feel safe. They're feeling like they're being taken advantage of a fact to pay for people who shouldn't be here to begin with. They're seeing their cities overrun now by people who shouldn't be here. So it's a reckoning. It's a, it's a He's recognizing uh, the problem politically that he has. And, and Trump going to the border is brilliant. It reminds me of the 2016 campaign. Um, and I believe it was August of 2016 when he was a candidate and you know, obviously before he was president and he went to Mexico. He met with the then Mexican president, shook hands, did the press conference. And I remember thinking, man, this is brilliant because it made him look presidential. Because the knock mm-hmm. against him was, oh, he's this, you know, wild you know, card. We don't know what he's going to do. He's crazy. He can't be trusted with the nuclear codes. And then here he is in Mexico shaking hands with the sitting president looking extremely, you know, presidential, giving a press conference, doing the thing that presidents do. And obviously, since then, he's been the president himself. But, you know, he's been out of office for for a while. So I, I do believe it is very smart for him to go to the southern border. Obviously, this has been a signature issue for him since he walked down the golden escalator, in 2015. uh, And it has continued to be. uh, And, you know, this is a top issue for Americans right now. And who better uh, for Republicans to deliver that message and to continue hammering at home than Donald Trump?
4: I think there's a stark, stark difference between Republicans campaigning and what they're promising compared to Democrats. And if I go back to 2016, I think the biggest I think the reason Trump has the support that he has now is that, Most presidents make a lot of promises. I mean, we heard how many presidents say that they were going to change um, Jerusalem to be where the embassy was and all of that never happened. And Trump made it happen. Trump went and he campaigned on multiple things. That was one of them. The border was one of them. The economy bringing jobs back. He went out and he said, I'm going to do all of this stuff. And then he did all of it. And he had this website that was, I don't know, maybe it's still out there, promises made, promises kept. And you could go through and see, wow, he really did this. And then I thought it was funny because when Biden was campaigning, you know, the people, the young people didn't vote for Trump. You know, this is like the first election they're going to be in or they're in college and they're, they're in the first election they're going to be in. And I remember some of these young people like, well, I have to vote for Biden because he's going to give He's going to make college free for me. I was like, why do you think that's going to happen? And it, I realized they thought that because when Trump was running and he said he was going to do things, he did it. And they had never seen the political world work before. So they didn't know that politicians just lie. You know, oh, I just want to buy your vote and you're actually not going to get anything for it. But I'm going to pretend I'm buying your vote. So I watched this the last few years with Trump. And my theory, and maybe I'm totally wrong. But when I looked at what he did in 2016, he ran on all these issues. The Democrats started to realize that instead of running on anything, they would pick one issue to destroy their opponent on. And in 2020, that was COVID and it was effective in states like Michigan because We were still early on in that situation. And so Trump came out of having COVID and he was like, look, I lived through it. And I think that we have to just get the right medicines and we're going to be fine. And I got what he was doing. He was trying to stay positive. But the Democrats said, oh, he's being flippant about how deadly this is. And so in Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer was immediately like, I'm the only one protecting your kids. I'm the only one protecting the elderly. Little did we know the kids were being harmed. The elderly were dying. We, we couldn't see that far in the future. And I really think that that's what hurt Trump. This time, I don't think they have anything to run on. They're going to try to make it abortion. But I think he's going to take, like you said, that same 2016 point of view where he's like, look, we got to bring the economy back. We got to get make our community safe. And we've got to make sure we have a border. And I don't see how they win against that. Well,
5: I, I personally think Trump would have been better off uh, just admitting the truth about COVID, that it was never as deadly as people said it was. It was deadly for certain groups of people, but not for the vast, vast majority Of Americans. And we really knew that right after the 15 days to slow the spreads, particularly when we started getting seroprevalence studies and showing that a greater proportion of the population had previously had COVID and therefore were not at great risk uh, of, you know, getting sick or or dying from it because they already have built in immunity. So really, from the beginning, I, I think that we would have been better off just admitting the truth. I think there was an intentional driving home of that to try to get Trump out of office, to lie to the American people, to to create fear uh, and chaos in America. So, um, you know, a a couple of things. Uh, So you had mentioned, you know, how Democrats kind of try to buy votes. Uh, You know, we've seen that with Joe Biden, right? Like he's like the Oprah of politics. You know, you get college loans here, you know, reparation, (laughs) like you get a car, you get a car, you know, that's kind of like what Democrats uh, uh, do. But, uh, you know, why I think Trump was effective and why he was able to follow through on his promises is that Donald Trump's actually done something. With his life. He has created things. He has built things. He's been in business. He's done real things with his life. And so with that, he surrounded himself with other people who have also done real things in their lives, you know, cabinet secretaries and people who have built things, who have, you know, have actually done things with their life, intangible things, real things. And what Democrats do, whether you look at Joe Biden or you look at Obama, they've never done anything with their lives. Joe Biden's been in the Senate vice president. He's never actually had to do anything. He's never really actually had to be accountable for his actions, his decisions. Right? He's just mooched off the American people and the taxpayer.
4: He's never created it. Mean, you were talking yeah. about McConnell earlier. I'm like, I mean, that's Joe Biden, too. Everybody's been in office their entire lives. And well, and Obama, to too. He, you
5: know what I mean? He was like a professor or whatever. Like, he, you know, he, he's never had to do anything with his life. And they surrounded themselves with other people who have never actually had to do anything in their lives. And that's why their ideas and practicality never work. In theory, maybe, but not in
4: practicality. Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast.
3: Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: If you've never been in the political world, because, you know, I came in this from the business world, and I think that it's funny to me because I was like, how much different can it be from the business world? And I'm like, holy cow, this is the most psychotic place I've ever been in politics. Like people are so cutthroat. It's not cut and dry. Like business deals are not the same. But Trump comes from a business world that is a tough world. The building industry is tough. You have to be tough. And I think that he was able to cut through a lot of the BS quickly and he was just like, we're going to negotiate the stuff and we're going to get it done. And that's not how Washington works. And people in Washington allow it to not work that way because it's easier and they go wishy-washy back and forth and it's nothing gets done. And then Trump started getting things done. And that was this big movement of people on the ground who were like, oh my word, this is something we have not seen in government before. So when people are so shocked that he's going back out there and he has the support. I find that funny because I'm like, well, but if you look at what he did and you get past his rhetoric, then you actually see that he accomplished more than most president or probably any president has in four years and was able to do it with a massive amount of support from people who were suddenly coming over and going, wow, my life was a lot better. But then I see, I I don't know if you saw this the other night. This is so funny to me. I don't, I sometimes will go over to MSNBC and CNN because I want to see what they're saying. And when I go over there, I'm like, I get why this is convincing. You know, like this is a show. It's not news. It's really a show. And when you have 24 hour news, people have to be just actors right so rachel maddow i was watching this i just saw this clip and i'm like she's she's really an actress and it's funny because she's so like she's a hard tough lady so you think of her as newsy but as i was watching it i'm like my gosh she should win it like an emmy because this is this is worthy of it she's acting here she's like afraid Donald Trump is going to stay in office forever because the Supreme Court has decided to hear this immunity case. And she was like, he'll just stay in office forever. And her voice is shaking. And I was like, man, people who are vulnerable to this could so believe that he's going to stay in office forever. And it's so ridiculous because if that were the case, then he would still be battling to be in office right now. He clearly left office when he was supposed to the last time. But it's so believable when you listen to these people just like literally on the verge of tears. And that's why I think that there's this massive divide. When I see people like Rachel Maddow crying on TV over Trump, it makes me think, no wonder we're in the situation we're in.
5: Well, and and the irony, of course, is. And everything that they believe, everything they do, they project on to us. When they were the ones that you know weaponized the F- the FBI heading in to the twenty sixteen election and and afterwards to try to get Trump, you know, totally unsubstantiated. Uh, and Obama's having a third term, so yeah. And it's like, and then Trump <laughs> left willingly. And if I remember, it was you know uh, Mark Milley who was talking to the Chinese behind Trump's back, uh, you know, during that, that interim period when Trump was leaving the white house. So, you know, and then it's Democrats now who are, are trying to throw Trump off the ballot as opposed to just letting the American right. people oh, yeah. have yeah, their... Illinois. Yeah. But I, you know, I'm kind of a little bit dark in the sense of, um, I think COVID was just like, uh, I what they like a red, not even a red pill, like a black pill, I think is even more, I think they say, but, uh, I just I I worry that, you know, one, even though politically speaking, like everything looks really good for us. You know, again, that Bloomberg poll has Trump winning by five points and seven swing or an average of five points and seven swing states. Uh, But I worry about the mail and balloting thing. You know, I I think Democrats really used covid to their advantage in 2020 to get a lot of uh, election changes that they had wanted, uh, you know, particularly mail and balloting so I, I worry about how that goes down. It's really no longer about winning over voters. It's just collecting the most votes and, and Democrats are better at that than we are. We still don't. Seem to have it it figured out. So I worry about that. But even more than that, I do think we're kind of at this point when you look at what they did in 2016 with the FBI and everything thereafter. You you look at these criminal indictments against Donald Trump. You look at this civil fraud case in New York, which is a joke. And you you look at Fannie Willis in Fulton County and how corrupt she is, uh, you know, trying to kick Trump off the ballot, all this different stuff. Like, I don't know. Like how far away are we from Democrats doing what they project and just saying, "You know what, even though you won like I, Joe Biden's like I'm not stepping and out of office, you know, or we're gonna deny the victory I, I i don't know i I just feel like we're sort of on the cusp of are we even a country anymore like are we a- are well I are mean, we a constitutional republic like it doesn't seem like it you know, like I, I don't know it 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 just kind of feels like we uh you know, where where is like the the tipping point? Like you know, I I, I don't know. I, I'm a little bit we saw, scared of it. We
4: this. saw it with Hillary Clinton, and that is that was the beginning of like this, I didn't lose this election, and he's this corrupt guy. And then she really the Democrats used that throughout his whole presidency to stop him from getting things done, and yet he still got all of this stuff done. And so I I hear exactly what you're saying. I mean, and I've been telling people Look at what they've done that we haven't been paying attention to. And I blame us for this on the Republican side, because as I've kind of gotten into this and opened my eyes, I mean, if I look at Arizona, I'm like, hmm, this is interesting. Katie Hobbs was secretary of state. She made changes. Then she she was overseeing her own election. I mean, come on. So she, you as Secretary of State running the election, run for governor, and then lo and behold, you win. But this is happening across the country. So to your point, in Michigan, same thing. You have Jocelyn Benson, who's made changes as Secretary of State to the way we vote. And now she is going, she's already announced she will, in 26, run for governor. So she will oversee her own election for governor in the state of Michigan. Like, come on, folks, pay attention to what's happening here. We're not paying attention to these other 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 positions that are on the ballot and people aren't fighting for them and then they're going to democrats who are realizing that when you are a prosecutor when you are a secretary of state when you are an attorney general you can make changes that people cannot that republicans can't come back from and you can make detrimental changes to the state that will change crime, that will change the way we elect people, and will continue this ongoing process of getting Democrat after Democrat. And ultimately, it's not that we're not winning, it's that we can't possibly win in this scenario. I also am concerned, I mean, I'm not saying by any means that I think that Republicans have this this time. I think that if you step back and look at where the country is right now, We should have it because it should be pretty obvious that things are crummy in the country, that there's, I mean, you talked about all the people coming from foreign nations into this country. It's not people just seeking asylum. There have been people on the terror watch list. We're in a critical situation. On the world stage, we're in a critical situation right now. The economy, people can't afford to buy groceries. It's a problem and yet I don't think that we're safe right now in this election because I've seen the shenanigans that they pull. And I and I believe that abortion will come back up. And I know people are like, oh, no, abortion is not an issue. Well, it's going to be on the ballot in about 12 states. So that's going to be something discussed in those states. And I just keep saying to Republicans, do not get caught on this issue and end up not winning because you, the Democrats are going to be able to define you in some horrible way.
5: Yeah, no, I, I definitely think that Republicans need to be more on the offense on the issue of uh, abortion uh, just because we know that, you know, Democrats like why do Democrats support the murder of, of babies? Like why? You know what I mean? Like, why why do they think a child that's viable outside of the mother's womb should be murdered? Why do mm-hmm. Democrats think that when a, a baby has a heartbeat that it's not a living being? Right. Like, I, I don't know, like I, I'm sort of of the mind of saying, well, why are they child murderers? Like, why, why do they want to murder babies? Uh, but, you know, in, in terms of, uh, you know, the election, yeah, you know, I, I, I just worry about, you know, even like look at Pennsylvania, for instance. Uh, I think Biden got like three out of four every mail-in ballot or, or something close to that. And he won the state by less than 2%. But the, the problem that we are in is that you kind of have to like play the game to win the game and to then to change the game. And you can change mm-hmm, the yes. game if you look at what they've done in, in Texas and in Florida and sort of fortifying their state's elections and how they do things. So it can be done, but yeah, it's like you got to have the power to do it and in order to have the power. You kind of have to play the game a little bit. And, and I think it's really incumbent upon Republicans in states where we have a trifecta of government, where we do control the governor's, uh, the uh, The governor's mansion and then as well as the state legislature of fortifying the state uh, of making these changes or if Democrats continue down the road of trying to kick Trump off the ballot, kick Biden off the ballot why not? Then let's kick Biden off the ballot and we'll leave it up to the Supreme Court to decide. But like, if they're going to go down this road, then we need to start fortifying the states that we do have. And we also need states like what Texas was doing on the southern border and fighting the federal government of standing up to the federal government because states do have rights. And I think the only way we get back to a sane society is to, to take back the country from the federal government. I mean, this is not what our country was supposed to look like. We're not supposed to have this large of a federal government, this centralized of a government. So I think decentralization is really the only path forward, uh, where you know we the people have the rights again, and we're not at the mercy of a weaponized, corrupt federal government.
4: Right. No, I I agree. I mean, I think that's what we're all on the Republican side. Everybody is supporting that. So. We shall see if we can make it through, and then, and then we will pay t- more attention to these other offices that we haven't been paying enough attention to. But I will, we'll have to have you back and, and talk about all of that when we see how 22 actually shakes out or 24 actually shakes out. I think that it's going to be a battle in every state, and I think that every single Republican needs to be out there saying, what can I do? And, and a lot of people will be like, oh, I don't have time. I, don't have to, I can't do this. I can't do that. Just call your local Chat, your local GOP chapter, whatever it is, and say, do you need me to make some phone calls? Can I text people? I mean, honestly, anything you can do, we just need to be doing it. But I appreciate you. I appreciate what you do every day. And I appreciate you coming on, Lisa
5: Booth. Thank and you. And you're coming on my podcast soon, which I, I can't wait to have you. But yeah, I mean, your audience knows it, but you're awesome. Just uh, such a smart, fun, uh, amazing woman. So appreciate you having me on. Can't wait to see you soon. And can't wait to have you on my podcast soon.
4: Yes. And everybody should listen to your podcast because I mean... This is the stuff that we are talking about every day on here. For those of you listening, you're going to get something similar, but you're going to get different viewpoints and you're going to hear more on Lisa's podcast as well. So we are all in the same network. You guys are going to enjoy everything you hear on the Clay and Buck Network. So make sure you check out Lisa's podcast as well. Thank you, my friend. Yes. And thank you all for joining us on the Tudor Dixon podcast. For this episode and others, go to com. You can subscribe right there or just head over to the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts and join us next time on the Tudor Dixon podcast. Have a blessed day. Now You'll even get a solar panel included free. Go to 4patriots.com tutor.
2: I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C.,